It's a very familiar portion of scripture. A lot of you are going to know it. I've probably preached from it before, but when we're talking about resourcefulness, I want to make sure we're thinking the right way. And that's what we're talking about this morning. And so we're going to turn to Exodus chapter four, and we're going to hear a conversation that God has with Moses, a little bit of it. Are you ready? Say amen. Amen. Exodus chapter four, starting in verse one, it says, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back inside your cloak, he said. So Moses put it back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored the rest, like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they don't believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the gr- dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I find that funny that he said, I've never been eloquent. And since you've been talking to me for the last 10 minutes, I haven't gotten any more eloquent. <laughs> I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant. Lord, please send somebody else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you. And he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hands so you can perform the signs with it. Father, we thank you this morning. We believe your word to us is for today, Lord. We pray that you open up our hearts to receive it. Let it renew our minds today and make us more like Christ. We pray, Lord, that because we were together, this gospel would go forward farther and quicker for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen and amen. All right, you may be seated. Look at your neighbor, ask him, you going to use that? You going to use that? We've covered already in our core series, Unity. We said that, that God did not all create, create us all the same. He wired us different. He gave us different likes, dislikes. Uh, yours are weird. Mine are normal. Uh, he just, he just created us for different purposes and gave us different abilities. But unity means that we're unified under one vision. It doesn't mean we have to agree all the time. It means the vision restrains us to accomplish what God has called us to do. So then we talked about um, generosity and how generosity is not just a number, it's a mindset. It's an, it, we're looking for opportunities. And if we, if we just land on a number... Uh, that we miss the point that Jesus makes in the New Testament. 
And then we talked about excellence and how excellence isn't, uh, isn't a destination. It's a road trip. It's a, it's a constant moving, uh, towards, towards doing the best we possibly can, uh, to glorify God. So today I want to talk to you about something that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, it, it happens to be the way I'm wired and, um, some people call it a cheapskate. I don't, I don't call it that, but, um, but I want to talk to you today about resourcefulness and give you, give you some things that I see, uh, in this portion of scripture. We're going to go through four phases to be resourceful. And I, I think it's a pattern that a lot of people fall into, but just to give you a little background, I, um, I grew up watching the A-team in MacGyver. And what I recently found out was they're streaming those shows. Uh, like we've, we, we found this streaming service and they're streaming those shows right now. And so I've introduced my son to both of them because they're part of a holistic uh, education. And so if you're going to have well-rounded kids, you should probably let them watch the A-Team and MacGyver. And I know you're too spiritual for that, but whatever. Um, so we were watching it the other day, and, uh, and I can remember an idealistic view of those television shows like they were the best ever. And now I'm watching them, and, uh, and I'm looking at my son and go, this is the dumbest thing I've ever watched possibly could be the dumbest thing. Mr. T goes into a barn with a washing machine and a piece of pipe and comes out with a flamethrower. Like, ah. and all he's got is a hacksaw. But one thing you could say about those two television shows is they were, they were about resourcefulness. They were about resourcefulness. Now there were other themes that were going, but the core of MacGyver, he could, he could be in trouble and walk into a room and make a bomb out of anything like a paper clip and a rubber band, he could blow a car up with it. And so, uh, I started, I kind of started out thinking that way as a kid. My, I, I would just do different things and my, and my parents would buy me nice, you know, like a nice toy and I would rip it apart because who just wants a toy? And, and I would get a car with a, a motor in it. You could, you know, it would drive. And, and so after about two weeks of being bored with what it does, I would rip it apart, take the electric motor out of it, tape it to a pencil, stick, a, stick an eraser on the end of it and put a battery on it and then go to school with a, with a powered eraser. <laughs> now the issue is you've never went to the store and bought a powered eraser because they're not effective show up with this little eraser that's spinning and, and my friends were erasing quicker than I was and their pencil wasn't heavy. It's just the way I was put together. And so we get into, uh, uh, early on in our marriage, I got married when I was 20, which I don't recommend. I got a 20 year old daughter now that have a panic attack if she got married. She doesn't know anything. I heard somebody over there say, that's true. (laughs) I think it was another family member. It's 20 years old. We got married. We moved into a duplex downtown Martinsburg and, and all of our furniture was given to us. I remember having a 27 inch tube TV with stereo sound that was given to us for our, our, um, uh, our, as a wedding present. I thought I got the best TV on the block. 
but we didn't have any coffee tables or end tables or anything like that. So I worked at a department store at the time, part-time, had another job, and I went and got pallets. Now, this is before D, D, uh, DIY. This is before. Nobody even had put those letters together before. I ever heard DIY, do it yourself. There was no such thing. There was this old house and Norm. And trust me, he never used a pallet to build furniture. Watching that guy for 40 years, he never built furniture out of a pallet. So I, I, I went, I grabbed some pallets after work one day, came home, cut them things up, made a coffee table. Cut them up, made an end table. And somewhere along the road, I think we burned them for heat. But, I, <laughs> but that was before people were taking pallets and putting them on their walls. And pallet, you know, I got a friend that cuts up pallets and does all kinds of stuff with them. But it was before all that. It was just we didn't we didn't have anything. We just had to I had to have a place to put my foot on when I sat down. That's what coffee tables are for. You call them ottomans. I call it a coffee table. Maybe they're two different things. I'm putting my foot on both of them. <laughs> so, the, um, so that's how we started out. And, uh, and this is the way my mind works. But there are times in my life where it doesn't actually work like that all the time. And I want to walk you through a couple things today, if you'll give me a few minutes, about some phases that we end up walking through. One of the things you find out about this story is Moses was not looking for God. He wasn't on the backside of the desert uh, going, going, God, if, if you just give me a vision for my life, there's no indication that he was asking him for any high calling. There wasn't any indication that, that he was going, God, I just want to do something big for your kingdom. There was no indication of that. In fact, if you look the, at the beginning of Exodus, Moses had gotten himself into some trouble. By the way, some of you know the story of Moses. Maybe some of you don't. It was miraculous from the very beginning. Moses is in a culture at the time where they were killing uh, Israelite kids his age. And his mom miraculously puts him in a basket, puts him in the river. He floats down to Pharaoh's complex and Pharaoh's daughter finds him and, and then actually gives the responsibility to raise him back to his own mother. Man, God orchestrates things in an amazing way, doesn't he? Moses grows up under the, under the um, watchful eye of Pharaoh, and he gets uh, to a certain age where he realizes he's not an Egyptian, and I'm sure his mom had a lot to do with that. And he gets himself into some trouble because he sees an Egyptian slave master uh, mistreating one of his people, and he ends up killing the guy. Word gets out. Moses flees. Now he's been with his father-in-law on the backside of the desert for a long time, decades. He, um, he finds himself doing what he normally does, only a phenomenon is happening in front of him that he's not used to seeing. And so he sees, the Bible says, a burning bush. And when he sees the burning bush, he's realizing that not only is the bush burning, but I believe uh, having traveled a little bit in Africa, that he, that it wasn't the idea that the bush was burning, but it was not being consumed. Uh, I've been in Zimbabwe, uh, Ghana, uh, about four or five times in Kenya. And what happens is, especially in Zimbabwe, um, it will, fires and brush, people won't even stop to put them out. Come on, if your neighbor has a leaf fire in the back, you're like, kids, get in the house. 
it's so dangerous. Fire. They don't even look because Southern Africa is burning all the time when it's dry. It's just brush fires. And so I've, we've literally been driving down the road, look out into a field, see a big field of grass on fire, and just people walking by. Nobody's on their phone. Nobody's calling anybody. It just doesn't matter. It's just the, kind of the cycle of how things happen. So Moses comes up to this bush. He realizes there's something different about it. Comes up to the bush to investigate it, and he hears a voice from heaven. Hey, take off your shoes where you're standing. It's holy ground. And God begins this conversation with him. I've heard the cries from my people. And I'm going to answer it in the gist of what God tells him. I'm going to answer it by sending you. Now, remember, this is not a guy who signed up for it. He didn't come to uh, Hope Community Church and sign up. I want to be involved. He's out minding his own business. He's tending his sheep. And God comes to him and says, I think, not I think, I know. I know you can do this and I'm calling you to do this. So what I found out is any time that there's an ask, Anytime that there's a problem, anytime that there's anything, God says, hey, listen, you're the person to do it, or I'm going to call you up, or maybe somebody comes to you and says, hey, I think you can do this. We go into this thing I call the assessment phase. The assessment phase. You automatically begin to take inventory of what you have, what you're capable of, uh, what you think you can do. You take an assessment. Okay, I've been asked to do this. Now, Now, in light of me being asked to do this, do I have enough money to pull it off? Do I have enough resources to pull it off? Do I have enough talent to pull it off? Do I have enough knowledge to pull it off? And we start this assessment phase. Well, Moses does that. And Moses just comes back to him. He says, hey, I- I'm not your guy. I don't know if you realize, but I haven't been hanging out with people that much. My speech hasn't gotten any better. I'm not, a, I'm not a good communicator. I'm not a good, uh, I, I'm, not a, I'm, not, I'm not persuasive with my speech. I, I'm not going to stand up in front of Pharaoh and get him to believe me. I'm, I'm not going to stand up in front of all, all your people and get them to believe me. You, you hear it over and over in this argument. He's like, well, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe me? What if, who, who am I going to tell them to send me? And so Moses, you, you can almost hear him out loud doing this assessment. I'm not up to the task. I'm not up to the task. I'm not up to the task. So First thing I want to say to you is that we are terrible auditors of ourselves. We are terrible. I've never heard anybody say, oh, I got way more talent than this needs. (laughs) And I've got way more money than this requires. I'm just letting you know. First of all, you're like, you're a narcissistic, crazy person. But you never heard anybody say, when you ask somebody to do something, they're like, ah, well, I don't know. We always do that. When God comes, if God has a calling on your life, our knee-jerk response to his calling is like, oh, God, I don't know if I can do that. I, I, re- I remember um, uh, a two-week stint in college. No, it was a little bit longer than that. <laughs> two, yeah, two years. I remember my first, I, I, I signed up for a speech class, and I went faithfully until it was time to give a speech, and then I dropped the class. Because who wants to do that? Who wants to stand up in front of 25 people and talk? Not me. So when God then puts a calling on your life, you start Im- immediately going, oh. I mean, you remember that college course I had, Lord? <laughs> 
You remember that thing that I didn't even do that I dropped out of? You, you remember that? So t- just make sure you're calling the right guy because I think you may have the wrong guy to do what you think should be done here. And isn't it funny, during the assessment phase, we often argue with God about the capabilities that he gave us. <laughs> it's, it's irony at its best when Moses looks at God and says, I'm not capable, after God orchestrated his life to be standing in front of the bush. When God says, the only reason you're standing here breathing is because I got your mom to put you in a basket, to have enough faith to put you in a basket to float you down the river. And then I did that, did that convoluted thing where Pharaoh's daughter found you, but then your mother was working in there and she gave you to your mother, Moses. Did you hear that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't, I still don't think you've got the right guy. No, I've got the right guy. And so we're terrible auditors of ourselves. When, the, when God makes the ask, when he, when he says, hey, hey, I want you to do this, I want you to do that, we instantly go into the assessment phase and we start counting pennies. We start counting resources. We start, we start saying, oh, is there a, ah, and we get anxiety and we get, we get all worked up about it because we're just not sure that we got enough to make it and, and we're not sure. I, I was going to tell a story, but I'm not. Yeah, I'll tell it. When we first got married, I can remember, I'm, I'm happy-go-lucky, I don't even care. That's good and bad, mostly bad. My wife is the one that makes sure we both look like we know what we're doing. Any other people married like that? Like it'd be a train wreck, I'd be living in a tent right now. Yeah, trust me when I say that. So I can remember we, we, we were dating. I, I got two jobs because I had that little drop out of college season in my life. So I got two jobs. I'm like, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to show her that I mean this. And I was sleeping over at her house one night. I was just sleeping because that's what you do. You work and sleep. So um, I remember waking up and she was crying. And I thought, well, dear God, I couldn't have done anything. I was asleep. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, we're not going to make it. I said, what are you talking about? She said, we're going to be like $6 short in the budget every month. And I went, (laughs) we can find out on the sidewalk. We're going to be living downtown. (laughs) Now, the appreciation I have for her is she actually looked at the budget. I was like, "Ah, who cares? But we assess things according to our perception of what's available. That's an important thing. We assess things according to our perception of what's available because the assessment season for Moses, he obviously had resources that he didn't even recognize. So what you have to understand is there could be things that you have currently that you don't see as a resource. Amen? I start out early looking at my kids as resources. Oh, you're eight, you can mow the grass. That's why God allowed you to live with me, (laughs) to share the burden. We start this out right at the beginning. We start assessing everything. We're taking an inventory of resource, abilities, giftings, knowledge. And then then we get to the next phase. And I call this, most of us have walked into this phase. Most of us don't skip this. And I call it the poverty phase. 
Because once we assess what we currently have, rarely do we ever deem it as suitable to accomplish what God's called us to. Rarely ever. I've rarely ever ran into somebody that goes, no, 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 I got enough to make this happen. We rarely ever get, so we instantly start out after the assessment as if we don't have enough. And the reason I know this is because I, the common language is whenever there's something we need to accomplish in the church, outside the church, I always hear it said like this, well, if I had, and then the conversation goes. We say things like this, well, I would, man, I tell you what, I'd get another car if I had, I, I tell you what, if I had, I would, do you say that ever? If I had, I would, if I had, fill in the blanks, whatever it is for you. Well, if I had a million dollars, I would, and what is it? You would do things you're not doing now. That's where we always go with that. Nobody says, I don't need a million dollars. I'm going to do it anyway. I got a credit card. No, that's not a good idea. So we get into what's called a poverty phase. Our knee jerk is always taking the viewpoint that we don't have enough. You find this in the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is preaching. He seems to be a little long-winded. People stay longer and they don't have any food. And so what happens is, he comes up with a good idea to feed everybody. Don't you love it how God's idea is like, oh, just feed everybody. It's like, dude, it's not that easy. You can't just feed everybody. But Jesus does this all the time. So he looks at the disciples and says, hey, we're going to feed everybody. And they say, <laughs> okay, Lord, the assessment. Lord, there's a lot of people here. And by our calculation, it would take a half year's wages to feed everybody today. Just in case you were wondering, Peter's got a calculator and he figured if we had, don't you love those personalities? Well, if we gave everybody three ounces of meat and one slice of bread, then we could spread. So they said half a year's salary. And then they say this, as if they had a half a year's salary in their pocket. They said, do you want us to go down and buy that much food? They're presenting what is an impossibility to them, to Jesus, as if he would actually ask them to do that. Hey, Lord, it's going to take a half a year out. We've done the assessment and we don't have enough. Peter spent his last dime on a Diet Coke. <laughs> Selfish. We don't have enough. We don't have enough. You're standing in front of the God that spoke the earth into existence with his voice and we're saying we don't have enough. There's irony right there. We're, we assess the situation and we always come up short. It's a poverty mentality. Lord, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. Lord, Lord, what you're asking me to do is not in my wheelhouse. I, I, can't, I can't pull this off. It's not going to work. And then here's what I realized about MacGyver. He never said that. Any of you remember that? He never got into a room and went, there's no paper clips. We're all going to die. We're all dead. No. He had put off a poverty mentality and he started realizing 
that he actually had resources around me. So I want to, I want to tell you this. I'm going to say it because some people in here are stuck in the place where you will never have enough. And what I'm telling you right now is if God called you to do something, he's already calculated how much you have. And he's a better assessor of what you have currently than you are yourself. Let let, let me give another example. Any of you ever, I, I don't like yard sales. I'll be honest with you. Your junk is your junk. I don't want it. Like one, one person's junk is another person's treasure. Okay. Don't you hate those people? I know we're in church, but let's be real. Don't you, don't you hate those people that will walk up to your yard sale and you got a broke up chest of drawers that your kids cl- used as a monkey bars, used as a jungle gym for 10 years and it's broke up. You're tired of looking at it and your wife's like, get that thing out of here. And the, and the cat died, and, you know, the whole thing. And you set it out for two bucks. This guy walks up and and negotiates you down to 50 cents. (laughs) Then two weeks later, you happen to walk around the other side of development. He's got that thing sitting out there for $100. He threw some paint on it. He put like glass knobs that he got from somebody else. And all of a sudden, he turns something in that you were willing to throw away in the Starbucks for a week. 100 bucks, $15 a day. So he looked, here's the problem. He had a different assessment of what you had than you did. He looked at your stuff and found more value in your stuff than you found in your own stuff. Oh, come on, hopefully this is gonna help somebody today. We look at our stuff every day. We've become too familiar with what we can't do and too familiar with what we don't have and too familiar with how it's not going to work and too familiar with if the relationship was better and too familiar with, well, if my bank account had more and too familiar with, well, if I could win the $100 billion lottery, everything would be easier. Well, sure it would. Actually, it wouldn't because you had friends all over the place now. But that one guy is able to walk into your yard sale, get something for nothing, and turn what you deemed as worthless into something to make him some money. So oftentimes, God's coming to us and he's saying, look, I think you can do this. And we're going, hey, man, I'm not your God. Look at what I got around me. It's not enough. Look at that. But the ability I have is not enough. And scholars debate whether, whether, Moses actually had a stutter or not. He said, I'm slow. I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech. He, he was saying, look, man, I, I'm, there's no way I'm going to walk in front of these people and convince them that you sent me. I don't argue with, I argue with sheep. I, I'm not a, I'm not a orator that's going to come make a big argument to Pharaoh about letting your people go. And the irony is that God said, I know that. I know that. I'll help you. I'll take what you already have. Come on. I'll take what you already have and I'll help you with it. I'll help you. I just need you to see what you already have is enough to start. So here's, here's the phase that I like to call the transition phase. The transition phase. Because uh, I heard a guy on a podcast the other day, you know what the key to writing a good book is? writing a good book. 
You know, I believe there's so many things in the people sitting in this room right now that God wants to do through you. All you have to do is start. 99% of your problem is you won't start. You just won't start. Because our culture is like, well, I don't have the right camera. I don't have the right computer. I don't have the right car. I don't have the right this. I don't have the right that. I don't have, I don't have enough. I don't have this. I don't have that. And if we could transition ourselves into realizing, hey, the key to writing a good book is just starting to write a book. You got to start somewhere. Well, I've been putting it off till I get a good idea. You don't even know if you can write two sentences. How about you just start? But it takes a transition in our mindset to start something, doesn't it? It takes a transition to think, hey, wait, I might have enough to at least start this. I might have enough to at least start this. So here's what God does with Moses. Moses doesn't believe it. He's taking assessment. He's, he's, he's got the poverty mentality. Lord, I'm not it. I'm not it. I'm not it. And God does this thing that seems so silly on the face of it. He looks out. He says, hey, what's that in your hand? It's a stick. Now, here's how I know Moses had never used the staff in the way that God intended him to now use the staff is because when he did what God told him to do with it, he was shocked by the result. And I'm telling you, 90% of the room, if you do what God wanted you to do with what you already have, you'd be shocked by the result too. You'd be floored. You'd wake up and go, whoa! I just turned my kid over to God and he turned into a snake. That was crazy. No, not, not quite that. Moses, what's that in your hand? What's well, a staff? It's a staff. And, uh, okay, Moses, I want you to toss that staff down the ground. What? Toss it down the ground. All right. Tosses it down the ground. That thing turns into a snake. Now, I know you've read the Bible story. I know some of you have been in Sunday school. You've heard that for 50 years. That turned into a snake. I'm going to tell you that was the most shocking thing that could have happened in that moment with what he already had. The reason I know it's shocking is because it says Moses runs off in fear. God's like, hey, come back. I'm not done yet. He He takes a stab. What he already had. He's trying to figure out how to convince Pharaoh and not only Pharaoh, but convince his own people that God sent him. And God says, listen, I'm going to start out with what you already got. I'm going to start out with what you already got. What's that? What's that you're carrying? You've been carrying it around for decades. What are you carrying? I'm carrying a staff, Lord. Okay, throw it down on the ground. Throws it down on the ground, turns into a snake and freaks him out. Then it says pick the snake up by the tail, which typically is not the way you would pick up a snake. I don't know about you, but that gives him a long ways to reach back and get you. You ever picked up a snake before? I want to go for the throat. Just like. And the kids are like, dad, it's just a little garden snake. I'm like, son, that thing's dangerous. I can remember one got in our basement. It was about this long one day. And I reached out to grab it and it hit my finger and I acted like it was a spitting cobra. I was like, oh my gosh. It it couldn't even hold onto my finger. (laughs) I about peed myself right there. The snake is about this long. I'm serious. I was like, Chris, you're a grown man. 
This is your house. That snake is shorter than your foot. I snatched that thing up. I was like, not in my house. And throw it outside. It's like, try to bite me. You know, then you're looking the rest of the day like, ah, did it draw blood? It's a transition that God has to walk you through from a poverty mentality to, to enough mentality. A poverty mentality to enough mentality. Lord, this is what you're asking me to do. I think I have enough to start. I think I have enough to start it. Can I let you in a little secret? God will not never tell you the total resources you will need to complete it. I'm going to say that again because none of you got it. God will never give you the total resources up front that you need to complete it. Because if you already had enough, you wouldn't have to depend on him for anything. No, but what he says is, watch this. I want you to get a mentality that what I've already given you is enough to get started. And then have enough faith to trust me for when you need more. I just have to, ha I just have to believe he's given me enough to get started. You say, well, I would start a business if. No, no, no. No, you got enough. Amen? You got enough. I would, I would start this if. I would do this if. I would do this if. Take the if out and go, I've already got enough, so I'm going to do it. So, so God walks Moses through this transition phase. Hey, what's that in your hand? What's well, a stick? Hey, throw it down. Oh, okay. That accomplished a lot more than I was thinking it would. And so he walks us through the transition phase, and then we wake up one day and we realize that we become resourceful. And you know what the beauty is about resourcefulness? When you get to being resourcefulness, you always have enough resources. It's the A-team. If I need a flamethrower, all I need is a washing machine and some pipe and a little bit of propane. I saw it yesterday. And the beauty about it is we take what God has already given us and he blesses it and turns it into what we need in the moment. You know what the most complimentary thing anybody could ever give me is, man, God sure did MacGyver your life. I'd be like, oh yeah, he did. I got to where I am, not because I had a, ever had enough, not, not enough education, not enough background, not enough money, not enough resources, but here we sit in a building that only took half as much to build it as it should have. Why'd that happen? Because we didn't stand over here and go, God, I mean, we'd start it, but we'd like about $2 million up front to make sure we want to be responsible for all you responsible people out there. Be quiet. Be quiet. Because the responsible thing for Moses to do would have been to walk away and just say, forget this, man. I don't have enough to do this. But I think the church should be irresponsible every now and then. Amen? Like this, like, is there any tinkerers in the room? Ooh, there was a couple in the first service. All of you are like, oh, I don't know what you mean. You just like to tinker with things. You like to take things apart, mess with it, and turn it into something else. I believe we need to have a tinkering mentality with the gospel. You know why? Because what we did 10 years ago doesn't work today. 
And what we're doing today won't work five years from now. So you know what we better be doing? We better be tinkering with it all the time. Just tinker with it, tinker with it, tinker with it. I wonder if I put a, I wonder if I put something on YouTube. I wonder if I did something on Facebook. I wonder if I did something here. I wonder if I did something there. I wonder if we baptize people and have fireworks. You're like, oh, that's how you came to that idea. Yeah, we're just tinkering. Just tinkering. Just messing with stuff. Just messing with stuff. Go in your house and look at what you have and start messing with it. But here's the, I want you to start messing with it in a way you've never messed with it before. Because that's what God did to Moses. He walked him through a transition phase. He said, I want you to use something like you've never used it before. I, I want you to, yeah, you've been singing at the house and you're great. I want you now to use that differently. I want you to start maybe singing in front of people. Yeah, you, you, you argue with your brother and sister so well. I want you to use that for my glory. I want you to take it outside of the context that you currently know it in. I want you to transition from seeing it as not something worth anything to something so valuable you'll start something with it. Have the church rise up and never complain about not having enough. How in the world can, of all people, the church look around and go, we don't have enough? When God says, I'll supply all of your needs according to my riches and glory. So what we should be saying is, Lord, we got enough to start. You better look out. You better have it ready because we're going to need it. Because what we got, we're starting with what we got. Amen? We're starting with what we got. We're not going to wait until it looks safe. We're not going to wait until it looks reasonable or, or responsible. We, this is what we've got. We're going to start with this, Lord. We're going to be resourceful. And when you start having a resourceful mentality, you realize you have more resources. Not because God has poured more on you, but because when you look around now, you see everything as a resource. Yeah. If MacGyver walked into your house and he needed to make a bomb and your mom's fine china, he'd say, hey, hey, listen. I mean, if if I need that mixing bowl, I'm taking it. I'm taking it. So you start looking at what God has already given you. And then when you, and then all of a sudden you wake up one morning, you go, oh, I got enough. I actually already have enough. I got enough. I got enough self-esteem to make this happen. I got enough confidence to make this happen. I don't have a, I don't have to have all the confidence to get through to the very end yet. I just got enough to start. Amen. I'm going to leave you with this. The band's going to come. You can go ahead and stand to your feet. try to help you out here. Here's what I realized. Maybe you're in a marriage this morning that, that you think should be better. God's asking you to see what you already have as a resource. Well, if my wife act different than she does now, it'd be better. What if I started seeing my current status as enough to do what I need to do. You want a better marriage? I'm going to start where I am. I'm going to start where I am. I'm not going to ask God to give me something else to start loving somebody the way he called me to love them. You don't have to say amen for it to be true. 
You say, man, my, what if my husband was just a little more caring? Well, it looks like that's the stick you got in the closet. Amen? God said, what do you got? I got an uncaring husband. He said, I can work with that. I can work with that. Let's start there. Let's start with that stick. Throw it on the ground. Kick him. No, no. <laughs> no that was a different story. Start there. Hey, maybe, maybe you're... Maybe you're a young person trying to figure out the whole college thing and stuff. You're like, man, if I just had more, if I just had this and I had that. No, no, no. Start. Say, God, I think you've given me enough. I think you've given me enough. I can honor you with what you gave me. I can do it. I can do with what you gave me. So here's what I, I want us to make a commitment to this this morning. Maybe, maybe you're walking in here today with a poverty mentality. Maybe you made a bad assessment of your current situation and you need to start some transitioning to a different mindset. I think today could be the beginning where you start, you go home and take an inventory with your family. Hey, you know what? Maybe if you're a dad in here and you realize, you know, I've been, I've been poor mouthing our family and, uh, and we're not poor. We got stuff. God's given us stuff to go ahead and get it started. We're going to follow him. We got enough to get moving today. Maybe you need to have a family meeting and say, listen, I've been thinking the wrong way about this. You don't have to cry and get all emotional. That's silly. say, look, we're going to think different. We're going to think like God has resourced us the way he has. Can we pray that way this morning? Father, we thank you, Lord. God, we pray that never again would we come from a, seat, from a spirit of lack. Never again would we come from a mentality that we don't have enough. Lord, but we pray that you'd help us to see what we currently have is enough to do what you've currently called us to accomplish. Lord, we pray that we'd, we'd, get a, we'd get a right viewpoint of what you've already given us. And we pray, Lord, that this church, no matter how much comes in, we'd always be resourceful with what you've given us. God, help us stretch it and use it as far as we can, Lord. Help us never to use not having enough as an excuse not to serve you. God, we pray this morning that you change our mindset, Lord, that we would push the gospel forward in every circumstance. For your glory and your honor, we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, could you give him honor and praise? He's good. Amen. Hey, listen, encourage somebody on your way out. You can be generous, and we'll see you back here next week.